I have to say that in the 10 years that I've been serving in the youth ministry, I've never really brought this forward. I've never really felt that God had put it on my heart to share this uh, particular message and this approach uh, with, with here in the, in the full congregation. So I just have to trust God that he wants to bring what he wants to bring tonight. But uh, as I kind of survey the congregation, let me ask you this simple question. How many of you are parents? Let me see your hands nice and high. Okay, so I would say, and my math's not that good, but 90% of you in the room are parents, 80%. How many of you are grandparents? Grandparents, yeah, so, so, you know, this is great, man. Grandparents get the glory, man. They really do. They, they earn their stripes, and now they get to, you know, spend time with the kids and then send them back. So they love being grandparents. They love being grandparents. We're, we're in the stage of earning our stripes, so we are not yet there, and I thank the Lord for that. How many of you are aunts and uncles in this house tonight? Let me just ask you a simple question as we begin tonight. How many of you would say that if you look at the culture in today's society that the children are growing up in a different world than you? How many of you would say you can attest to that? You know, it's been said that times have changed. And I don't think that times have changed because we've been at a problem since sin entered our world through rebellion with Adam and Eve. And, uh, you know, just before we start to, just before we be quick to blame Adam and Eve, the Bible very clearly tells us that if any of us were in that position, we would have done the same thing. So, you know, I don't want to be talking bad about Adam, talking smack, and then I get there in heaven, and he's like, yo, man, you know, what's the deal? I mean, you know, I don't want to have that occurrence, so... But uh, we've been in a problem since the dawn of sin. Now, with the advent of certain technologies, yeah, we're seeing rapid issues in our culture today. You know, I was in high school and I had a professor or a teacher back then who told us that, you know, teen pregnancy really wasn't an issue, much of an issue, until the first automobile was created. Now, you're laughing, but think about that. With, with, the, with the introduction of the automobile, young people started becoming parents at an earlier age out of wedlock before they were ever married, you know, and because they, before that, you know, you had chaperones, you had to go out, you probably wouldn't take the horse and buggy because the horse would be resting, and so there wasn't a whole lot of that. Your relationship may have consisted through writing or different types of events, but family was involved in that process. So anytime technology comes, it brings with it a certain set of issues. So I, w- I want to throw a disclaimer out there tonight because some of what I'm going to talk to you about tonight is technology, but I do not believe that technology is bad. I believe technology is neither good nor bad. It is all in what you do with it. It is just like money. But we've got to take some time as the body of Christ because I want to talk to you tonight about the state of our youth. I want to talk to you about the state of our youth and where our kids are at. And if you're sitting here and you're not a parent and you're not a grandparent and you're not an uncle and you're not an aunt, you might be saying to yourself, well, why does that matter to me? Because I believe that God's call is not just to parents, that God's call is not just to grandparents, that God's call is not just to aunts and uncles, but God's call to the generation is to the church. And there is a burden of responsibility upon the church that we would see to it to take care of the kids that God has given us. And so regardless of whether or not you have children, I want you to lend your ears tonight. Some of the statistics and some of the things I'll share with you may be shocking. They may not be shocking. My goal tonight is not to shock you, but to raise awareness. Sometimes we don't act because we haven't seen the need. And sometimes an exposure of the need will drive us to our knees. Because too many times in our Christian circles, we're just glazing over. We're just glossing over the issues facing our children today. And I think that God has said, enough is enough. These are my kids. And it's about time we take care of them. So here's the deal. 
I want to show you as we begin tonight, we're going to look at five different scriptures as we begin tonight, four or five. We'll look at four to start. I want to walk through these scriptures. And as we do that, I want to, I'm doing it for one reason, to show you how much God cares about his kids. And then we're going to answer the question of why God cares about his kids. If you would do this with me, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 18. I want you to turn to Matthew 18. Um, when I first read this scripture, we're going to read the same scripture in three different accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And when I first read this scripture, I felt like I was quivering inside of my body because I began to see what God's expectation of his church and his fathers and mothers are. Okay, here we go. So, uh, Matthew chapter 18, and I want you to go to verse 6. And when you get there, just shout at me and say, I got it. Okay, Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones, everyone say little one. Now, just before what happens here is Jesus pulls up a child on his lap because his disciples are talking about who's going to be the greatest. See, if you struggle with pride, you can take comfort in the fact that people have always struggled with pride. And even Jesus' disciples struggle with pride. Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to, no, it's going to be me. No, it's going to be me. It's going to be me. You know, they're talking on the road. So Jesus says, I'm just going to mess with your theology a little bit. And I'm going to bring a little kid in front of you. So he brings this little kid in front of him. He sits him on the lap and he says, this is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And unless you become like one of these. Now, Jesus is, is having a twofold co- uh, communication here. He's talking about children, but he's also talking about those who are young in the faith. And so as we read this tonight, you need to think about children and youth. But you also need to think about those who might be immature, those who are younger in the faith. And so in verse 6, he says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Encouraging words from Jesus tonight, huh? Jesus is communicating a serious point. Jesus isn't just talking to parents here. He's talking to disciples who are concerned about being great for Jesus. And Jesus says, if you want to be great for me, then get down to the lowest of the level and care for the least of these. The ones that you've been brushing off because you're too busy. The ones that you've been pushing out of the way because they're interrupting what you're trying to do. Let's look at how uh, Mark communicates this. Go to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Oh, thanks, man. Mark chapter 9, I want you to go to verse 42. So Jesus is talking here about offenses, and I'm going to clarify and qualify what he means by offenses. And Mark chapter 9, verse 42, again, if you're there, just shout at me and say, I got it. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, that word stumble means to, as we just read, fall into sin or to fall short, or to create a stumbling block for. Whoever caused one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, a lot of times you read something in Matthew and you're like, I got to see what Jesus is really saying. So let me read it in Mark and Luke. Jesus hasn't changed what he's saying here, has he? It's pretty much the same thing. It hasn't gotten any better. Well, let's look at how Luke communicates it. Okay, let's look over at the book of Luke and I want you to go to chapter 17. In Luke 17, I want you to go to verse 1. Luke 17, 1, when you're there, just say, I got it. Luke 17, 1, Jesus says, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. 
it would be better for him, here he goes again, if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Listen, God does not take kindly to leading his kids astray. You say, obviously, Pastor Kurt, but I want to challenge our theology tonight because one way that we might, as the church, be leading the kids astray is through our negligence. Maybe we're just negligent about what, what's going on in youth culture today or what's going on with the kids in the church. We think it's good enough if I bring my kids to church. My wife and I were talking about this tonight. You know, I just, I make sure that God is in our home and I bring my kids to church and yet they're just going to hopefully get into it. No, you have got to be intentional in what you're doing to bring Christ to your children. You've got to be intentional. It is not about being perfect. It's about being intentional. And we need to be intentional. You say, I don't have kids, Pastor Kurt. Guess what? There's broken kids in our church. And they're coming from broken homes. And they need some help. And God is saying, the time is over where we've turned as the church, turned a blind eye to what is going on with our kids. Because I don't think that we as the church and we as the body, Jesus is not talking to fathers here. He's talking to his disciples And if we are disciples of Jesus, then our concern should be for all of his people. And what is going on with the state of our youth today? Every one of us in this room could acknowledge that it's different than when we grew up. Even I. It's different than when even I grew up. So I began to think about this. Next month is my 10th year here. And I began to think, what has life looked like in the past 10 years? And how is that different? 10 years ago this June, we saw the very first iPhone. 10 years ago. We have adopted that as part of our life, these mobile phones, these, these smartphones. And so we have almost forgotten about what life was like before that. But we now have a generation that will never know about life prior to a computer in the palm of their hand. I'm not against technology, but you know as well as I do if you're old enough. When dad came home from work. And he had a long day at work when we were kids, right, Mom? He would come over to the phone, the phone that was mounted to the wall, and it had a cord on it, and he would take it off the hook. We don't even know what that means now. Take it off the hook and put it on top of the refrigerator, and what do you hear? Until the dial tone goes dead. Why? Because mom and dad valued family time around the table and wanted to be sure that we were connecting with one another. Now, parents have to fight their kids to not bring their phones to the table. There's a movie that came out years ago. It's a movie by Disney and Pixar, and it's called Wally. And the movie is prophetic. It came out before we were dealing with technology today. And literally, there's this crazy scene where two people are sitting side by side and communicating digitally. Digitally, What's happening in our homes today? People are sitting next to each other, texting each other, right next to each other. There's some issues facing. Again, I'm just bringing awareness because you and I, we might have an understanding of how to deal in the culture because we knew what life was like before. But these young people, their whole lives is really right here. We have a generation that is more connected than ever before and yet disconnected. We can say things on Facebook, social media, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat that we can't say in person. 
We have lost the ability to connect with one another. And you know what? It's going beyond our youth culture and it's invading adult culture as well. Conflict resolution is not done face to face with young people anymore. It's done right here. People hear about bullying in the schools and they say, oh, get get over it, kids. There was always bullying in the schools. Yeah, but there's a difference today. See, when the kids go to school now, they don't just get bullied at school. Their entire life, nonstop, 24 hours is bullying because this right here is 24 hours. And I'm not only going to lay into you and make fun of you when I see you at school, but I'm going to go on social media and I'm going to make you look like a fool. I'm going to make you look like an idiot. I'm going to make you feel bad to the point where our kids are killing themselves because their identity has come from what somebody has said about them on social media Instead of their identity being found in their father, first of all, their natural father, and he's going to lead them to their eternal father. But with 50% of marriages, even inside the church, ending in divorce, how are we going to help these kids? The God is looking at the church. Now, listen, I'm getting fired up because I've been in this for years, but I'm communicating to you just so we can have awareness. The Bible says time and again that Jesus saw the need and was moved to compassion and therefore he acted. I am bringing the need before you tonight so you can be pricked on your heart and moved to compassion so that you can begin to act. And I can, we can come alongside each other together and begin to act and not stand any longer, not turn a blind eye to these kids who are hurting. Let me share a few things with you. If we think that social media is just going to fade away and be gone, we've got another thing coming. There are young people starting multi-million dollar, billion dollar corporations. I just read about a 19-year-old man who started a multi-million dollar corporation and it has everything to do with social media networking. I don't even understand it. I, I don't even know what he's doing. I tried to watch the video. I have no idea. This culture is happening so fast. The transitions are happening so fast and their world is being consumed here. And that's not a, that's not a slight to anyone in here who's uh, any of our young people. That's not what I'm trying to do is bring awareness. And so these young people are moving forward with their life here. There's nothing this generation can't do. There's nothing this generation can't have. Everything is at the palm of their hands. I want to share, share a few things with you here. Think about this. In one, in about two minutes, you can order a pizza, download a game, uh, what else could you do? Go on your mobile banking, make sure you didn't overdraft, you know, and, and you can even be exposed today to more pornography than ever before. Oh yeah, I'm going there. I'm going there. Okay. I remember the first time I sat down with a young man and he was talking to me about his addiction to pornography. And I was like, okay, well I can relate. You know, I've been there, man. And I'll share some of that with you guys in a few minutes. But he blew my mind because I said, you know, you got to make sure that you're not at the family computer. This is how ignorant I am. You got to make sure you got to just don't put the computer in your room. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you know, that's that's where that stuff happens. You know, it's not magazines anymore. He's like, no, man, it's all right here. I'm like, oh, snap. See, there was a time, not that it's good, but there was a time when you had to make that walk of shame out to that store. Not that that's good. Not what you hear me for a second, or you had to drive that drive of shame and go purchase that magazine. You had to think about what you're doing and who's going to see you. 
So then, with the advent of a modern-day computer, in the 90s, computers began to infiltrate the common home, and middle-class people began to have family computers. I remember in 1995, Mom, when we got our first IBM, and you remember how the pictures worked back then on dial-up internet, you know? Your pictures came for three, it took three hours to get the picture to come, line by line, pictures downloading, you're watching it happen. Come back two hours later, it's almost there. It's almost there. (laughs) And now we're like, man, this thing's not working. It's been 30 seconds, you know? And I am so grateful because I was caught because we had a family computer. My life is dramatically transformed because I was stuck. I was addicted. I was caught up in all that pornography junk. But mom and dad, I don't know, the Holy Spirit, they went, they found it all in the history. They were able to call me on it and help develop my sexuality. You know, now, how can you even know? We have apps that are created simply for sexting. We have apps that are created just for, uh, you know, some type of physical sexual connection, some type of hookup. And I'm not against technology, like I said. And I don't believe either. We have another problem. At the same time we have this issue, the world's trying to solve the problem. Do you know what the world's doing? Inventing more apps to spy on your kids. Oh, that's going to build trust real well. That's really going to work. I was in the car the other day, listening to the radio station. Do you want to know where your kid's driving? Do you want to know how fast they're going? Do you want to be able to shut down the car if they're somewhere you don't want them to be? I'm like, this has got to be kidding. They're, they're creating these things. You can download an app. Man, how is your child ever going to learn how to function in society? How are our young people? We've got to train them along the way. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 4 when it talks to the fathers about training the child in the way they should go it literally means to help curb those appetites to help curb that desire so that you're developing properly and so we have to be intentional there's no perfect parent out there but we need to be intentional in the way that we're parenting there's no perfect leader out there but we need to be intentional in the way that we're leading i think we ought to be involved i think we ought to be engaged i think we ought to care about what's going on with our kids and even the kids when they're coming into the church listen there was a time when the kids were raised and i know i'm sorry there was a time when the kids were raised that if they walked into a room they were taught to greet every adult in the room do not speak unless spoken to and i'm sorry it's not not that we're not training our kids that way, but I'm telling you, when people aren't, they aren't there, when dad is not there and mom's working three jobs, trying to keep her family afloat, how can we put on that child, you ought to know how to treat me when I walk through the door. As the church, we have adopted this idea like those kids, you know, they need to say hi to me. Or they, I'm telling you, we've got to let that stuff go. And we've got to just walk up to that kid and say, man, why do you look so down? Man, my name is Kurt. I've been coming to this church for 20 years. How are you? What's going on in your life? Well, who are you? I don't care. Well, I'm a member of this church and I care about you. Because you matter to God, therefore you matter to me. You matter to God and so you matter to me. And I'm not saying that we're not doing that. I'm just challenging us a little bit more. So I was doing some research and back in 2014, the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, released information that suicide is the third third leading cause of death among people, watch this, ages 10 to 24. Did you hear what I just said? Ages 10. This is not a teenage problem. 
suicide. I just recently listened to a, listened to a podcast last week from Rama's Winter Bible Seminar, and they quoted that that has moved up to the second leading cause of death among people, children ages 10 to 24. Why? I'm not saying that I have all the answer, but what I am saying is that those are the things that are bringing me as a youth pastor to my knees and say, dear God, what do we need to do to win this generation? But we can't do it without you. We can't do it without you. We've got to be seeking the Lord earnestly about how to be intentional, about how to be engaged with this culture that we have here. As I said, it's not about being perfect. It's about being intentional. And it's not about being everything. It's about doing something. And so we really do have to be concerned. We really do have to be, you say, okay, well, this is all great. And you're you're kind of poking my heart. But what do I do? Well, the first thing is that you need to start with prayer. You really do. Prayer is the answer because Jesus is the answer. And maybe you have kids in your own house and maybe you're watching this happen or maybe you see the kids here and you're concerned about the way that they're acting. But I just want to challenge you before you begin to go after the students and say, you know, this is not the way it was when I was a kid. Really begin to engage them and understand their culture. That's what I mean by being intentional. We have to dive into their culture and be willing to understand. My oldest daughter is about to be eight, and I have to tell you that she's bringing things home at eight, even from a Christian school that we didn't bring home at eight, asking questions. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my goodness, I am not ready to handle this, you know? And what do we do as parents? If we're not ready, we freak out. We actually freak out. My kid's eight. I can't imagine what it's like when they're 16. People always say, little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. And I'm like, man, don't put that on me. But the first thing that we have to do, mom and dad, is we have to stop. Slow down. Don't freak out because they brought you something that you weren't ready to handle. Okay? And even people in the church, if a kid just unloads on you, don't freak out. But literally be willing to listen. Because God is not afraid about what the God is, we, we usually freak out and respond because we're afraid. What does that mean? Did I not do a good job parenting? Listen, this culture is going after your children and my children at a greater pace than ever before. And the truth is that if we as the body of Christ do not make room for them here, the world is already knocking at their door. And the kids are walking out of the church in droves because the world is calling them. And we as the church are being prim and proper. And we're saying this is the way that things are done. Listen, I'm not saying that we cut everything down to where the youth are. But what I am saying is we need to be mindful. Pastor John and all of our staff, we believe in a beautiful marriage between the zeal of the young and the wisdom of the aged. And if that comes together, you're looking at a beautiful archetype of God's church. You're looking at a beautiful picture of how God designed it. Multi-generational, multi-ethnic. And that's the beautiful picture of heaven. You know, I want to take you over to this scripture. Uh, You all have taught your kids. You probably have. We teach this all the time in the youth group. Go over to 1 Timothy, please. First Timothy. And I want you to go to chapter four, verse 12. First Timothy chapter four, verse 12. If you're there, just say, I got it. 
So we know here, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy has taken over the church at Ephesus. And now Paul is trying to, you know, Paul on his missionary's journey, missionary journeys established this church. And, and Timothy, he's trained up as a son. And he has now taken over this church. And so Paul is writing to Timothy. And when we read this, we teach this to the youth at least once or twice a year. And one of the things that we teach, and I'll show you as we go through it. So First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, he says, Timothy, I'm going to imply that in brackets, let no one despise your youth. That means to literally let no one look down upon or look upon you less because you're younger. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. I just got done teaching this to the young people. But today, as I was meditating on this scripture, the Lord was showing me that at the same time we're teaching this to the young people, there's a piece in here for the young people, and there's a piece in here for the church as well. Because for Paul to write, let no one despise your youth, that must mean that some people were despising his youth. And so the message tonight is don't look down upon someone because of their age or because of their lack of maturity in Christ. But as we're teaching young people to be an example in their word and their conduct in their spirit and their faith we also need to be that example that i believe in you i see you can do that we've got young people downstairs doing amazing things right now as we speak blow our minds all we have to do is turn it over to them all we have to do is begin not just turn it over to them again it's that balance of the zeal of the youth with the wisdom of the age while we're teaching our young people we have made a mistake in our culture and we have elevated talent above character and all you got to do is look on television all you got to do is watch movies the world can't get their lives together because we have exalted them as gods because of their talent so our young people they want to grow up and they want to be great stars in something meanwhile their character has been underdeveloped and it's been said that your, 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 your talent will take you where your character will keep you. The Bible is very clear that a man's gift will make room for him and bring him before great men. We teach our young people that while God is moving you forward in your gift and while he's developing your gift, you let him develop your gift, you develop your character. And so what we have got to do is we've got to be those character shapers for the young people. We've got to be those talent shapers. we got young people downstairs on the worship team. And every time we're challenging them, you know, it can't just be about how you're singing. It can't just be about what you're communicating. Where's your heart? What are you doing in your daily walk with Christ? Are you worshiping at home or are you just coming here on a Wednesday night and trying to get that worship out? It's not about a performance. It is about a real relationship with Jesus. And as you have that real relationship, he's going to shape your character. He's going to mold your heart so that when he brings you to that place of exaltation, your character will sustain you all the way through. Because the scripture is very clear in 1 Peter 5. Likewise, you young people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed in humility for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt in due time. And we ought to teach our young people, God has a day of exaltation for you, but not until your character is proven and not until you have gone through the fire. And we have got to develop them, but we've got to believe in them. We've got to encourage them along the way. My daughter walked home the other day, eight years old, not even eight yet. She's like, oh, dad, I got an 85 on my test. I'm thinking about what I was getting in the second grade. You've got an 85 on your test. Praise God, man. What's well, not an A? What? I don't care. Did you work hard? Yeah. Did you study? Yeah. Great job, kid. Great job. 
I'm not talking about the socialist, everybody gets a trophy. But what I am saying is if you did the work and you... <laughs> That's a water break right there. Slow down. If you did the work. We try to teach the young people. Do your best and trust God with the rest. Just a simple philosophy. Do your best and trust God with the rest. If you've put it before him, he's going to make you thrive and he's going to make you succeed. So I'm challenging us all tonight because you're probably thinking of some people, probably thinking of some young people, maybe kids in your neighborhood, you know, maybe kids in your very own home. And I just want to ask you to just be intentionally praying about them. You may not know their name, but as you drive by them, I was driving by one tonight. You know, he's riding his bike. As we drive by them, let's be mindful and say, Lord, what do you want to do? How do you want to reach that young person? You don't have to have the answer all the time. Sometimes you just need to listen. Sometimes we just need to listen. And don't be afraid that because what they brought you, one of the major things facing our young kids today, let me just share some, some, some stats with you here. Um, surveys have shown that 85% of American Christians, 85% of American Christians made their decision for Christ before the age of 20. Before the age of 20. That means that youth ministry is imperative. Not just the youth ministry that we do now in the youth room, but that the church has a focus of young people that we're actually intentionally going after the young people, that we're not just coming in and, excuse me here, and sitting and, and, and looking to hear a great word and looking to have an experience with God, but we're walking through the doors and saying, Lord, how do you want to use me today? Lord, how can you use me right now? And again, I'm, just, I'm not saying this is going on here, but what I'm saying is we're not coming always for what we can receive, but coming into the place and saying, Lord, I don't want to walk by a kid tonight. Because how do we know that kid's not going to go home and be totally bullied online all night on social media? It doesn't matter to you because maybe your parents and maybe your grandparents, maybe they instilled those things in you where you got your sense of value and you got yourself a sense worth, your, your sense of worth, knowing that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. But our young people today are being robbed of that. They walk down with their heads. They're, they're, they're confused about where their identity is coming from. And so we need to be actively pursuing them. Don't allow your age to stop you. Don't allow any demographic issue to stop you from caring about young people. Don't feel like you have to preach to them. Just ask them how they're doing. Just begin to pray and ask the Lord to reveal to you certain things. So 85% of American Christians are making their decision before they were 20 years old. See, um, young people today, one of the other issues facing young people today is sexuality. Because pornography has gone from simple, and excuse me, simple images, simple nude images, to now we have uh, styles and we have soft core and we have hardcore and we've got every explicit idea that the world can imagine the bible tells us that in the latter days there'll be inventors of evil and so that's what we're facing now so our kids get ideas in their minds because they've seen an image on a screen oh that must be normal that must be normal and if we're not there to begin to have that discussion you know i, be, I remember some of those discussions that my dad had with me to shape my character to shape my sexuality to help me and understand what's normal and what's right in god's eyes and so we can't be afraid if your kid comes home and says oh man you know this is what's going on i'm not just talking about the world i'm talking about kids right here in our church who are who are being exposed exploring sexuality is not just exploring it's encouraged 
Find out what you like. Go and have a free-for-all. Experience what you want. So when our kid comes and they're all confused, we've got to take the time to reprogram because we may not realize that we have been a little negligent and they've been spending hours. Think about how much you work. Moms, you're not, you're not home anymore. Moms are working just as much. They're out there in the workplace because the economy has expanded. We need to have all these things that we're taking care of now just to provide for our family. And so your kids could possibly be home alone without you for 8 to 12 hours a day. 8 to 12 hours a day. What's happening in those 8 to 12 hours? We don't have to go and attack them. We just need to begin to have the discussion. How are you doing? How are you doing with that? Actively looking at what your children are posting online, not for the sake of attacking, attacking, but literally to find out where most of the girls, it, it was estimated two years ago that ladies spend two hours a day perfecting the selfie. Do you know what the selfie is? Two hours. Our girls are spending two hours a day trying to get that perfect image because they're communicating because their identity is going to come from how many likes they got on that image. You say, that's foolish, but guess what? It's, tr- it's fact. It's not true. I want to make a delineation here because what's true is Jesus Christ is Lord. What I'm giving you tonight are facts, and those facts can change because Jesus Christ is Lord. It is not the truth. I'm giving you the facts, and with our prayer and with our activity, we're going to see the truth of God in our, gen- in our generation, in our children's generation, but they're looking for that sense of value. Dads, we got to look at our daughters and tell them how beautiful they are. We need to love our wives as Christ loved the church and wash them with the water of the word because I learned that from my dad, not because he told me what to do, but because I saw him love my mom. I saw him care for my sister. We have to be intentional. Hmm. It it, it can be overwhelming, but I want to encourage you. I want to share one final scripture with you. Deuteronomy chapter 6. My goal is not to discourage you tonight, but to literally let's bring this awareness and let's begin to seek the Lord about what we need to do. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. When our kids come home with a concern, when they come home or they come to the church and they're asking these questions. Um, I was talking to a new youth pastor today and I was just beginning to share some things with him. Uh, Parents, I got to tell you, don't freak out when your kid comes home and says, I don't believe in God anymore. Because... It's happening. Every, think about how much time they're at church. Your kids are at church maybe an hour and a half to two hours at best a week. If they're not in a, excuse me, if they're not in a Christian school, they're getting everything else in the world. The world's design right now is to tear apart the idea of God from our children's minds. To t- completely separate the idea of God. It started with the, uh, the advent of evolution, and it's intentionally here. There's a great scene in the movie called Creation. It's not a Christian movie, but it's about how Charles Darwin, who wrestled with his theory of evolution, he struggled even in sickness. He didn't want to communicate this, but there's this powerful scene where this person is like a bureaucrat is behind him and say, don't you know what you can do? You can destroy God in the minds of people if you just push this, this idea of evolution. The world is intentional in its attack on our kids. Are we just as intentional in taking care of our kids and leading them to Christ? Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 7. Moses is talking here, and again, he's talking to the assembly, and he says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently. 
to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, every moment we have with our kids, we need to be communicating Christ to them. Does that mean we need to shove the word down their throat? No, it doesn't. But it does mean that we need to be there. We need to be active. We need to be engaged. We need to be prayed up and intentional about how we can reach our young people. I want to uh, lead us in a song tonight. I was, I was praying about this, and um, I've kind of restructured the words a little bit. But rather than just leave us with, okay, that was really intense, Pastor Kurt, now we're going to go home. <laughs> I told you that wasn't my desire. I want to lead us in a song, and, and I've retitled this, uh, the words to literally to say, for the sake of our youth, Lord, burn like a fire in me. Light a flame in my soul for every child to see. And uh, I'm just going to minister this to you and just sing this song tonight. And I believe they have the words and they can put them on the screen. But I want you to begin to, this is our prayer tonight to the Lord. Is that coming through there? No? I'm plugged in. I'm just going to sing it and you can get the music coming through when you can. Oh, 
to join with a few people around you and just begin to pray for this generation. We're not going to leave without the answer tonight. Jesus is the answer. So I just want to encourage you to grab a couple people next to you and just begin to pray. Just begin to pray for this generation. God, how are you going to use me? 